Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to La Liga Lowdown's season review pod. We're just here with you. Uh, I'm Matt Clark and I'm with Rory Barlow. We wanted Sam with us as well, but he's actually watching Abar try and get promoted back to La Liga. So that's why he's not with us live, but you will hear from him uh, in the medium of a voice note. But for now, Rory, welcome back. Um, the season is over in terms of La Liga sides. Um, Real Madrid have won the Champions League for the 14th time, European Cup for the 14th time. La Decimo Courtois, as Marco called it. Um, they're just untouchable in Europe, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense to kick off this kind of season review with Real Madrid because they are the story. And I think Carlo himself said it. Nobody, not even he, expected them to get this far, to, to have this much success. Courtois is obviously kind of the story of the final itself. But I think that's that's one of a succession of storylines you can have throughout this Real Madrid tweet team. You've got the uh, outside of the boot pass from Modric. You've got Courtois having his moment. You've got Benzema and his Ballon d'Or charge. Vinicius taking that next step and becoming sort of the, the player he had potential to be when he was 17, but for, for a while struggled to, to make it to there. You have kind of Militao at points in the season was also incredibly good and maybe tailed off a little bit towards the end of the season. But, but right throughout this Real Madrid side, you have people and players who've come up in the biggest moments. Um, and certainly in the Champions League, I think, the amazing thing that Real Madrid did was almost distill football down to the bare minimum that you needed to do to win. And, and I mean that in a positive sense. I mean that to say when there was a moment, a big chance, Real Madrid took it. We were just speaking before the podcast about how they basically can't remember any big chances that Real Madrid missed during the Champions League, apart from one or two. And 
And uh, yeah, Karim Benzema was so clinical against Liverpool in that Champions League final. They had two shots on target before the 89th minute. One of them was a goal disallowed, one of them was a goal. And then at the other end, Courtois just kept everything out. And it's just whenever they needed something, Real Madrid came up with it. And I think, um, I, I'll pass over to you in a second, but I think that kind of comes from Carlo and his calmness. I think he was the fourth choice, third choice, fifth some had him as, as the Real Madrid manager this season. He didn't expect the call when he got to Real Madrid. So I think he's he's obviously a very serious manager, a very hard-working manager too, but he came here to enjoy this Real Madrid job. And I think he's passed that enjoyment on to his players and, and that's really helped get the best out of them. I think they've all contributed in a manner that that normally players and coaches don't. Normally they're more stressed out, but Carlo was there to enjoy this. And uh, yeah, I think that's part of the reason that they've done so well this season. Yeah, he's always been a calm guy, as you say, but following his time at Napoli and then Everton, and then you think, okay, he's kind of on the downward trajectory in terms of competing at the very elite level. But then here he is back in Madrid and winning three titles in the same season. The Supercopa kicking it off first, of course, set up with a Clasico win and then beating Athletic in the final. Then winning the league with four games to spare with a club record margin of, of victory, uh, 13 points over Barcelona in second, which is a, a club record, not the league record, but a, a club record. And then, of course, the European Cup Champions League final in Paris. Uh, Benzema winning it in the capital of his homeland. As you say, the, the Ballon d'Or charge is very much alive. And I tell you what, Thibaut Courtois might have to be up there too with the season he's had. Um, he said after the game how he was, he was motivated by not having the respect he felt he deserved, certainly from England. Um, I know some people were saying, oh, everyone thinks he's great, but I, I, think I, I think I can speak for everyone. And certainly when he was leaving Chelsea, there wasn't too many that thought Chelsea couldn't upgrade. But I think now it's pretty clear he's, if not the best, one of the very best in the world right now. And yeah, nine saves in the Champions League final. One for the ages, superb performance. Uh, and, and yeah, so many stories. David Alaba coming in. To replace Sergio Ramos, never looked out of place one bit from the moment he scored at the Camp Nou in, you know, in the Classico in the first half of the season to just being absolutely solid in defence. Um, that midfield three of, of Kroos, Casemiro, Modric winning again. Uh, and just a number of players they've now got with five titles to their name, um, including Gareth Bale, of course, and the likes of, of Casemiro, Modric, Nacho. It's, it's incredible what they've done over the last kind of eight, eight nine years. And... We often talk that they aren't always the best team in Europe, um, but when you look at the run they've been on, having lost the Sheriff at home in the group stage, yeah. to then knock out PSG, knock out Chelsea defending champions, and then knock out Manchester City Premier League champions, before beating Liverpool in the final. It's, uh, I mean, many have, have kind of kicked back on this, saying there have been harder runs, United 99, maybe Barca 2015, but I think in terms of right now to beat PSG with all the narrative about Mbappe and all the narrative about you know that that club and the Super League and everything like that for them to beat PSG in the way it's the way they did it as well Benzema back to back hat tricks in the knockout stages um, seemingly dead and buried at multiple points in the knockout stages um, and uh, yeah to come through uh, reach the final and then win the final of course I said it Madrid don't play finals they win finals they've won the last eight European Cup finals in a row which is frankly unbelievable which is more than any other clubs won in total um so yeah it's hats off to real madrid i i was obviously gutted from a personal point of view but uh <laughs> you, you, you have to respect <laughs> yeah I was, I was on the, the twitter la liga and so hopefully um i was able to stay pretty impartial but uh 
yeah, credits to Carlo, complimenti, um, and credit to Real Madrid because, you know, I think they deserve it. So hats off to them and congratulations on a great season. And you mentioned it there. We haven't really touched on it just because we've been talking about football, but we've got to have a word on Mbappe before before the oh. end of it. What do you make of Florentino? That? Yeah. Well, Florentino well, last night, he said Mbappe today doesn't exist today. What exists is Real Madrid and the big party. Indeed, and who can argue? I mean, a penny for the thoughts of him and Ramos, who argued about wanting a longer contract. Uh, Madrid were only willing to offer him one. Modric, in the last couple of years, has only been offered one as well, but he's taken them both times, and he's still been a standout player. And uh, I wonder if Ramos looks at that and thinks, you know what, I should have done the same as, as Luquita, uh, because perhaps, you know, no one is bigger than the club. Uh, they've proven that time and time again. Players will come and go. Legends will be made and, you know, without Ronaldo, everyone said they'll never be able to replicate what they've done. But uh, they've done it. Uh, Benzema stepped up. Vinicius. Well, this is it, isn't it? Mbappe was, you know, the big signing for the, for the new reopened Bernabeu. That was a kind of glamour galactico signing everyone was talking about and excited about. Um, and he was going to obviously play on the left wing, forcing Vinicius to the right. But then who's the man that scored the winner in the Champions League final? It's, it's Vinicius. Um, and yeah, Killian's sitting there watching at home in Paris on his TV. So probably a very big TV, but you know, just a TV. Um, so yeah, I mean, lots of talk about whether this all, whole saga will come around yet again in three or four years. But uh, hopefully, we can we can park this for a while because uh, at this point, be, I think he'll be back there. Well, I think he'll be at the Bernabeu eventually. Um, and for what it's worth. I think there'll be a lot more stories. I, I think after the, comically enough, I mean, Thomas Roncero is a, is a comic figure at this point, but started writing his piece about PSG, not Real Madrid winning the Champions League. It was uh, Real Madrid 14, PSG 0 was the title of his piece <laughs> after his club won the Champions League, which is, is pretty remarkable. I mean, it was something that in the, at the Bernabeu in, in March, whenever it was, Mbappe scores to put PSG 2-0 up on aggregate and the Bernabeu is cheering for his goal. Um, but then on Saturday in, in Madrid, uh, ahead of the final, they were chanting uh, expletives about him, uh, let's just say. So that was quite an about turn there. So it'd be interesting to see if the fans will kind of come back around to the idea of, of embracing him again because I think the way it happened, the manner that he decided to stay at PSG, which of course he's entitled to do, um, first and foremost, but I think the way he's kind of U-turned on what seemed to be inevitable has kind of burnt some bridges with Madrid and uh, I think a lot of egos will have to be kind of reined in if they were going to entertain the possibility of, of him becoming a Real Madrid player again. So he's young enough that it could happen in you know, even five years, he'll still be in his peak. But um, yeah, right now it's, it's pretty raw. But uh, as Florentino Perez says, they don't care. It doesn't exist today. Well, of course, uh, this was the third of three titles for Real Madrid. Um, and we should talk a bit about La Liga, shouldn't we, really? Um, Real Madrid, again, very similar themes we've just been touching on. But Benzema and Vinicius leading that team. Courtois, the rock at the back. Um, it was at a canter, really, wasn't it, in the end of the title race? Sevilla were there for the first half of the season. But once they tailed off, it was all Real Madrid, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's very little to say that we haven't already said about the sort of Real Madrid-La Liga win. I mean, they were good. Ancelotti was proven right over his rotation policy and, and sort of playing his best team. I think in a different world where he does rotate sort of earlier in the season and they do drop more points, 
I think the season can go differently if you if say Barcelona win that Clasico and it's down to five six points and and there is like a real chance then then I think it could have gone differently but Real Madrid always had that security they could play without fear in the second half of the season which which left the other teams with no hope and, and you kind of saw that in the in the way that they fell off towards the end of the season um, so yeah I think Real Madrid obviously deserved winners um, and Carlo Ancelotti everything he touches is coming up scented of roses and, and golden indeed indeed and and that Sevilla game really did typify it Sevilla were 2-0 up weren't they going into the closing stages and uh, well 2-0 at half time and then Madrid came back um, turning it around right at the end and that just summed up you know encapsulated their season really they, they've, they've never given up when they've had to dig out a result they have and and against the, the biggest sides they were you know a bar that Clasico at the Bernabeu they were pretty relentless weren't they it was only against the kind of middle or lower teams they were dropping points so yeah whenever they needed to turn up they did and uh, as I say won the league with a with a significant margin and uh, will surely go into the next season as favourites but uh, we'll see what happens over the summer as for Barcelona, Rory, um, a big season of change and transition once again. The first season without Leo Messi in, in many years. Um, Koeman went pretty soon. Xavi came in. Ansu and Pedri had long spells out injured. The, uh, the January window brought many arrivals, the likes of Aubameyang, uh, Adama Traore, um, Ferran Torres, Dani Alves came back. Um, but yeah, it's... Progression in the second half of the season, I think, is the is the consensus. But how do you assess Barcelona's season and, and where they find themselves at this point? Yeah, if you look at it from from a distance and if you look at this season in comparison with other seasons in Barcelona's recent history, it is poor. Xavi said as much at the end of the season. But I can't say sort of from a from a personal perspective that I'm too disappointed in, in the sort of way the second half of the season went. I think expectations were really raised by that Bernabeu win which was obviously the peak of, of Xavi's reign so far I think it showed progress I think it showed that something is there to be built upon next season in a way I almost think Barcelona maybe benefit from that kind of really kind of murky grim and grey end of the season because it's highlighted all the problems that are still existing I think it's made it very clear to Laporta it's given Xavi some uh some ammunition to say to Laporta and Matteo Alemán that we need to improve this in order to get better next season in order to compete whereas if Barcelona win that Clásico they then go and win sort of five six of their last games and just fall short Laporta would have been well within his rights to kind of look at it and go well yeah we need to invest but we're not going to break the bank or, or go to our very limit because we're not that far off and so I think it works in their favour almost maybe that's just a, a very full um, glass <laughs> glass of water that I'm looking at but but yeah I think it's a poor season on the whole Koeman was obviously a disaster and Laporta should take blame for for putting the project on in his hands because I don't think he trusted him from the start but but yeah there, there's bits and bobs and, and there was so much that went wrong for Barcelona I mean let's not forget that there was a there was a time where we had Ferran Jutla and Ez Abde as kind of the bright lights of this Barcelona attack against sort of Sevilla um, and we had um, I think it was the Stanislao Pedrola who, who barely played for the B team coming on against Mallorca away from home and and yeah it, it was like a really desperate season at times but I think there's enough for Barcelona to look at it and say it's not a total failure, failure 
on the whole there's stuff that we can go into bearing in mind we come from Ronald Koeman's kind of quite uh, ashes yeah quite rickety start to the season bearing in mind Leo Messi was lost Antoine Griezmann was never a unanimously popular figure but he did score more goals than uh, than than some offers in the Barcelona shirts shall we say Indeed. Well, they were ninth when he came in and they finished second. So, you know, to look at it like that, it's certainly an improvement on what, what was, as you say, a disastrous start. It'd be fascinating to see how their summer goes, whether they can afford to uh, make moves in the market again. Lots of rumours about Robert Lewandowski continue. Um, Dembele's future still not resolved at the time of recording either. So we shall see what the next few weeks have in store. Um, but of course, a full pre-season under Xavi will be something that Kules uh, will be very optimistic about. Um, okay, now the team that finished third, of course, Atletico Madrid. Um, defending champions, again, pretty much a disastrous season in terms of a title defence, finishing a long way behind champions Real Madrid. Um, to get some thoughts on Atleti, let's hear from Sam Leverage. Atleti, well, the less said about Atleti, the better, really, I think. I mean, you know, this season has been a very difficult season for Atletico. I think well, they were hoping for a title defence. I mean, at the start of the season, there was a lot of talk about Atletico defending their title. And at the end of the day, it was a huge disappointment. I mean, early on, even in kind of October, November, there was some kind of hope. And Atletico just faded tremendously. I mean... The collapse leading up to the new year and the winter break was just terrible for my Atletico. I mean, Diego Simeone being questioned for the first time, seriously to that extent in his reign. I mean, it's been a very difficult season. At the end of the day, we have to look at it as Atletico have achieved what they set out to achieve with Champions League qualification. That's what matters to Atletico Madrid and the club. But for the fans, I think there's an element of disappointment, an element of frustration. So many of the key players, I mean, Marco Llorente, Coque, um, you know, these kinds of players who ha- just haven't lived up to the same fights that they, they gave us last season. So I think it's a very difficult season to take as an Atletico fan. Yeah, OK, no complaints. We can't criticise the players, the squad. But I think at the end of the day, most Atletico fans would have expected more this season. Thank you very much to Sam just before Ibar took on Alcorcón. Do you have anything else to add on Atleti, Matt? Because I think he has given me quite a good summary. Certainly the notes that I've had, he's touched on quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, very comprehensive there from uh, from Sam. Um, yeah, as you say, uh, they did a lot, have a lot of injuries, and certainly defensively, but again, you could argue that that could have been foreseen and that they didn't plan to get in another centre-back ahead of the season. and. We've seen what an impact Reynaldo had from January and you just think if he'd have been in from the start of the season perhaps they would have had a much more solid foundation. Um, I mean obviously they've conceded a lot more goals than any season under Simeone but again glass half empty or full ultimately they finished in the top three once again which they've done every season under Simeone. So uh, yeah they'll certainly want to look um, kick on next season and improve again challenge for the league. Uh, Marcos Llorente will hopefully be able to play in a position he's more comfortable with rather than having to cover it right back all the time. The loss of Trippier was obviously huge. Um, and again, they'll have to find a way of scoring consistently without Luis Suarez because he's 
obviously moving on. Uh, didn't play too much towards the end of the season, but his goals were obviously massive in the, their title charge in, in last season. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. We, we'll obviously see what happens with Jao Felix. We need a lot, a lot from him. A lot will be expected of him. Uh, lots of potential there. So hopefully they will... Um, Hopefully we'll have a, a really strong title race next season. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and just coming on to Sevilla, obviously, they finished top four. I, I don't know. I, I think they're the hardest team to assess in this league. I think they, they're probably victims of their own success in some ways. Lopetegui's future is up in the air. I think I, I can see Monchi giving them another chance. Personally, I, I think... Monchi maybe feels partly responsible for their failures this season. I mean, the goals were, were their biggest issue, and neither of them, Nassiri and Rafa, may have come off. I wonder, and maybe I mentioned it either, either on this podcast last time, um, or, or it might have been the Road to Nowhere one, where um, I think Monchi, maybe if he does feel partly responsible, he's going to sell Diego Carlos, has already gone to Aston Villa. I think Kunde will end up going as well. I wonder if Monchi thinks, I'm going to retool, I'm going to be better this summer. And we give Lopetegui a manager who I trust and who I like another chance. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of flip flopped a little bit to be to be totally honest. I was a big Lopetegui, well, I am a big Lopetegui fan, and certainly I was resistant to the calls for him to to leave. But then, as the season went on, I was kind of coming around to that opinion. Uh, you know, fans that go there all the time can can see the football; they they don't like it. It's often quite conservative and negative, and and if they're not getting the results to go with it. That obviously leads to criticism. Um, I think it's results football without the results, isn't it? So that's always going to invite uh, pressure. But then, of course, as you as you tweeted last week, he was he was whistled for the, a couple of games, but then he was cheered um, at the end. They gave him the bumps to players, and clearly, there's a lot of goodwill there. That Europa League title is is still going a long way for him. It will be important if they do lose Kunde, as we expect, alongside Diego Carlos. That's that's that foundation completely gone. Um, Fernando's not getting any younger either in front of them. So it'll be a real kind of radical change to the defensive setup of, of Sevilla. And maybe that'll embolden Lopetegui to go a bit more positive. I mean, his Spain side were phenomenal, weren't they? Um, when he mm. was Spain coach, uh, undefeated, playing dazzling football. Um, and even one of his highlights at Real Madrid, there was that fantastic performance against Roma in the Champions League. So he can play attacking, expansive, attractive football. And hopefully Sevilla will go back to that. Um, but yeah, the, the goals, as you say, were the big problem. Uh, Rafa Mir did okay. Eneziri was very disappointing on the whole, but he was injured for a big chunk. We have to remember that. And yeah, Martial was was a disaster, frankly. So mitigating factors again. They had so many injuries, um, but again, it's on paper they had one of the best squads in the league. So you would be disappointed only finishing fourth. And a couple of weeks more of the season, Betis may have overtaken them given the way they were playing. So yeah, the Champions League yeah. wasn't great either. Going out in the groups was disappointing. Um, losing in the Copa to Betis also disappointing. Um, but yeah, very hard to evaluate overall. Again, we'll have to see what the summer brings and, and if they can uh, you know, try and build on the squad and, and improve it. For, for what it's worth, I thought Atleti were the most disappointing of the top four. Um, Sam has given that award to Sevilla, so we're going to hear his thoughts on Sevilla just now. And then we're going to take a quick break into the second half of the show. Um, but don't go anywhere and we'll be back with you shortly.
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Juan Miranda, the young left-back. Can he become a Betis hero? He can! Betis win the cup! Steps Molina! Drags it wide! The tension... Aguirre marca el Mallorca, se salva el Mallorca. Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast, the second half of the end of season recap. We made it somehow. We weren't sure quite, quite if we would, but we did. Um, one team that made it a good end of the season and a great season, a historic season. Real Betis, Manuel Pellegrini, the. Uh, the best dressed man in Spain, as as I have him. Thoughts on their season? I mean, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? Betis have been probably just without without Real Madrid winning the European Cup, I'd say Betis winning the Copa is is the biggest achievement uh, of a Spanish side this season. Um, I mean, Villarreal might might say we reached the Champions League semi-finals, but yeah, for Betis to win a title, um, they were fighting relegation just two years ago. Um, they were right in the depths of a, of a scrap. It was just total chaos off the pitch as well. Uh, but then Mamma Pellegrini came, comes in and it's just, everything's calm. A bit like Ancelotti in many ways. Um, he's, he's been there, he's done that. He's won titles elsewhere. Uh, they call him the engineer and he, he really has fixed Betis. And mm. more than that, he's made them a, a lovable team again. The fans are properly united behind the team. The players are buying into La Vida Betica just as much. Uh, Fekir is as much Sevillano uh, as he is French at this point. And um, yeah, they've got some wonderful players, Sergio Canales, uh, Joaquin, Borja Iglesias outperformed expectations. Juanmi has found a way to score goals on a regular basis. And he's done all of this without 
hardly spending any money in the transfer market. It's been a remarkable turnaround in the last couple of seasons. And they reached the Europa League last year. Um, they were the only Spanish side competing on three fronts uh, by the time they were knocked out of Europe. Um, and, and by the eventual winners of the Europa League, it must be said, and it was only a last minute own goal in extra time that, that took it away from them. Um, and, and yeah, the real story for them is, is, is reaching the Copa uh, final, winning it. Uh, very special for them in their own city, of course, La Cartuja. Juan Miranda scoring the winning penalty. Of course, uh, you can always tune into our Copa del Rey review podcast. We had uh, Paco Pollitt and uh, David Whitworth joining us there to, to review that special, special day. Um, so that's well worth a listen if you want to reminisce about that one. Certainly, yeah, I think they do get that same air of calm, and I think that sort of uh, bios mostness goes through to their players as well. But the fact that they they are managed by someone and coached by someone that has been there, that's done it, that you can trust in, and trust that he knows what he's doing. He seems to transmit that to his players. His players seem to. To play better with the freedom that he gives them. You look, think of the likes of Sergio Canales and Fekir for a while. They didn't look like they could play together um, for quite a long time. It's easy to forget now, but um, they they weren't sort of quite functioning, and it was very congested and and slow and, and kind of hard to watch. Which, when you think he's probably turned them into maybe the most aesthetic team in the division, Real Madrid's permitting. It's pretty impressive. On the flip side of that. Valencia, on the flip side of that final problem child of La Liga for me. The audios that leaked from Aniel Murti were, were messy. Bordelas, whether he stays or goes. I, I, I mean, I've, I defended Bordelas in front of a significant amount of haters. I think to the point it's got to the point now where he himself and everything that he embodies now clouds the discourse on, on whatever he does. Mm which frustrates me a great deal because I think Valencia had a poor season last season and they can do better. This season, they, they finished four places higher. They finished ninth. They finished with five points more. They got to a Copa del Rey final. They win that Copa del Rey. I think nobody has a bad word to say about him personally. I think he, he put all of his eggs in that basket more or less. And yes, there are issues. There are inconsistencies. They do rely very heavily on Gonzalo Gedge, but... He has also made Gonzalo Gedge play better this season than he did last year. I understand the criticisms. I I don't know if maybe he's the right manager to go through with next season, but I don't know if I can go to the other side and say he's done a bad job this year. I think Valencia are a very tricky club to manage at the minute, and uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know if they're going to find someone better. Going back to certain European places, L'Areal, Imnol Aguathil. Thoughts? Uh, I'm a big fan. Um, a lot of people have called them a kind of catfish club this season because they were flying high early on and then they took some hammerings in, in the league and, and the Copa. Uh, when they do concede, they tend to concede a lot. There's that 4-0 defeat in the derby against Athletic, which comes heavily to mind. Um, I think they were beaten twice heavily by Betis um, too. And uh, yeah, but equally they had the most clean sheets of any club in, in La Liga. So especially at home, they were very solid for the most part. Um, and yeah, Alguacil has, has got a real uh, measured way of playing. It's, it's, it's kind of formulaic in the sense of, of patterns of play, but equally it is, it is good to watch when they get it right. Um, and it's worth remembering they were without Mikel Athabal for a big chunk of the second half of the season, and they will be still for, for a while yet. And they managed to put on a run and qualify for Europa League again 
which is uh, the first time they've qualified for Europe in three consecutive years since the 80s, I believe. So real achievement for them when you put it all together. Um, and while, again, people perhaps expected more at, at certain points, I think realistically they finished where, where they probably should have done, given the budgets and given all those other kind of factors. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do in Europe next year. I think it was disappointing the way they kind of, they got a good result in Germany against Leipzig, but then fell away at home. That was disappointing. Uh, and yeah, they couldn't, couldn't really do a lot in the copper either. But uh, they beat Aleti in the copper uh, before they were knocked out, which was a, a fantastic performance. Um, they played well in the home derby until that, that uh, Ramiro error, which was a rare one, uh, allowed Ike Munayin to, to score that free kick. Um, so yeah, on the whole, I'd say encouraging season for them. Uh, they're obviously building, they've got a lot of young players. Zubieta is a very productive academy. Um, interesting that uh, there was rumours that once Xavi Alonso left the B side after they were relegated, uh, there was talk that Real Sociedad perhaps wanted Imanol to, to kind of step upstairs and oversee the development of Zubieta, which he's, he's obviously already done so, so well for, uh, and allow Xavi Alonso to come in and coach the, the first team. But uh, Imanol pretty much said no to that. I'm, I'm the man in charge here. And uh, as it is, Xavi Alonso has had to leave the club. So I think it's clear there where, where the power lies. And Imanol very much has the command and respect of players, board and fans. In fairness, he's earned it. Yeah. And as much as Xavi Alonso, I think we were all excited to see what becomes of him. He has no claim to that job over Imanol Aguatil, who, yeah, as you say, I think it's a success this season. And the one thing that gives me hope for them next year is that there's a very clear issue there and it's the goals again yeah. so if they do find either if they do extract more out of Isak go back to sort of the the promising season he had the season before or if they do bring in another striker there's a clear sort of margin for improvement that that it's easy enough to see where the problem is as opposed to not having any idea Fierial. Where do their problems land? Ah, well, consistency um, in the league. Clearly a fantastic run to the Champions League semi-finals, knocking out Juventus and Bayern, and then giving Liverpool a real scare at La Ceramica. Um, and many would say that Emery reverted to type for that second half and kind of invited the, the onslaught, which Liverpool obviously brought. But um, equally, I think, to, to push them that close was, was a remarkable achievement. And Gerard Moreno was injured. Again, a lot of clubs here, we've said players have been injured. We can't forget that on the, off the back of a pandemic and off the back of a, a heavy summer workload, especially for the Spaniards with the Euros and then the Olympics, a lot of these players, I think there, there weren't many that didn't get injured at some point, whether it's Oyatabal or Soler or Pedri, uh, Pau Torres even. A lot of them have, have underperformed what we, what we would have expected, largely, I think, because of that workload. But um, yeah, Villarreal... Yeah, Emery's probably got, I think as you said on the last pod, one, one season now to really have a go at pushing for the top four, which they probably should, should be doing. Um, but of course, they've qualified for the Conference League, and that is also something which Emery will certainly feel they can win. Uh, there's no reason why they can't. Um, so it's going to be tricky. The squad they have is talented. Whether it's deep enough, there's kind of a debate on that. Van Juma will potentially attract offers. We expect Paul Torres probably to go as well. And Albiol will be another year older. So again, perhaps defensively, we'll need a, a restructure and a reshape there. But uh, I mean, Dani Parejo will still be going strong, I'm sure. And uh, they have a lot of talent um, in those attacking areas. If they can get La Celso on a permanent deal, that'd be a, a great bit of business. And I'm sure they will work some gems as well in the market, as they have done recently. Um, so yeah, it's, 
very much very interested to see how they do next season one, one of the most uh, fascinating clubs to watch I think next year now, now that we've covered the kind of European places and the European race we're going to move on to our surprise of the season um, we went to Sam for that who has been to Vieca several times which gives you a hint as to who it is In terms of surprise of the season, I think you can't look beyond Rayo Vallecano. I mean, sure, second half of the season, they were absolutely terrible, but that absolutely terrible was exactly what everybody expected across the whole season. The first half of the season, I mean, we can't forget they had a better home record than Juventus going into the winter break. And, I mean, you know, this is Rayo Vallecano. I mean, woefully mismanaged off the field. Just a complete chaos of a club, effectively. And Antonio Ariola really got them performing. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the other teams. I mean, Real Betis were perhaps better than we expected, but the foundations were there. Rayo Vallecano coming up. I mean, our pre-season predictions, I think everybody in the league lose down squad predicted that they would get relegated. And then we were going into Christmas with Rayo competing for a, a European place. I mean, there were chance. I was at games of Vallecas, but there were chance of El Año que viene Rayo Liverpool. I mean... Next year, Rio Liverpool wasn't a chart that anybody expected to hear at any point this season. So, simply survival, and that's what they got at the end of the day, is basically achieving the objective that they set out. But I think the first half of the season was so remarkable that they definitely deserve a mention in this section, at least, in terms of kind of exceeding expectations and and just being all round a surprise in that league. I don't think anyone expected it from them, from their playing squad. Iraola's a promising coach, but we expect something quite so magnificent from him. I mean, I don't think so. And then the others, I mean, you know, I think for, for Rayo, this is a real kind of marker of what they can achieve going forwards. And I mean, fingers crossed for all of La Liga that, that Rayo can do that because, I mean, the second half of the season, if they play like that next season, they're going to be in a real fight. But they play like that first half of the season again with some, a couple of additions to improve the squad. I mean, who knows what they could achieve. Thank you again to Sam for his thoughts on Rio. We're going to do a bit of a rapid fire round. We're going to do 30 seconds on each team going down to the bottom five before we get into the relegation list, list, the relegation race or battle. Um, Matt, I'm going to start you off with Athletic and Marcelino. Yeah, summer of change ahead for them. Uh, as Benyat said last week, they... They, in a copper, they did all the work um, for them of the other teams. They knocked out Real Madrid and Barca, lost the Super Copper final as well, um, but got more points in the league than last season and were a hair's breadth away from qualifying for the Conference League. So, uh, again, a mixed season. Uh, I'd like to see more from them next year, but with Marcelino going, it's going to be very tough to improve on him, I think. Osasuna are the next team up. This is a team doing things well. Osasuna, I like. They finished in a good position for them. They, are, what you see is what you get with Osasuna. I think they play physical football. They want to play counter-attacking football. They want to be intimidating and hard to beat. And if they could just sort out their home form at El Sadar, then they would be absolutely everything that their fans would be asking from them. And I think that's the one key bit of homework they have over the summer. Ante Budimir turned out to be a good signing. The Unai David Garcia are a fun sort of centre-back partnership. I think they're very good. And so, yeah, I have absolutely no complaints about Osasuna. I think Hugo Barasati is doing a good job. Credit to Osasuna for, for trusting him, for keeping their faith in him last season when it looked a little bit dodgy. 
So yeah, fix their home form and I can have absolutely no complaints at all. Felta, well, the absolute embodiment of mediocrity in terms of a club performance. 11th in the league, 12 wins, 10 draws, 16 defeats, 43 goals scored, 43 conceded. We just want more from them with the quality they have. Iago Aspas leading the league for Spanish scorers once again. He's phenomenal, we know that. But the rest of them need to help him out more. We've got Denis Suarez, fabulous player. Um, Santamin has had his off-field issues, of course, which has, has obviously had an impact. But yeah, as a whole, collectively, Celta should be pushing for Europe. Um, that's where we want to see them. That's what we want from next season. Elche, Francisco has done an excellent job. And let's not forget he was without Lucas Boyer for the best part of the last two months of the season. And given that we thought that they maybe wouldn't cope too well without him, they did all right. And he came in for Fran Escriba. I think we all were a bit concerned about them, but absolutely credit to Francisco for what he's done. I think it's maybe one of the underrated jobs that um, have been done in La Liga this season. The fact that Boyer is being linked to sort of Atletico and Sevilla, as is um, Johan Mojica, that kind of shows the kind of level they're playing at. And beyond that, there's not too many sort of standout stars. Javier Pastore, let's remember that he basically didn't get a kick either. Yeah, I think they've done an excellent job and I think Francisco can be can be proud of his work there. And it'll be interesting to see with their sort of controversial Argentine recruitment policy, just what happens over the summer. Try and do Espanol quickly, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that was in 30 seconds, Rory. Uh, well, breaking news, uh, Cope reporting that Diego Martinez is about to close an agreement with Espanol. So that would be a fantastic appointment for them. They're almost a hostage of their own size and history in that staying up alone wasn't enough for Vicente Moreno. He got the sack before the end of the season, pretty unceremoniously. But uh, Espanol... If they can keep Raldo Tomas, that's a massive uh, foil for them. And yeah, if they can get Diego Martinez in uh, and sealed and signed, that's a very encouraging start to, to next season for them. They can really look to push on as well into the top half. We're going to slow it down just a touch as we go into sort of the, the never regions of the table. I'm going to start with Hitafe. Kike Sanchez Flores, fantastic job. I mean, we've been over it before, the fact that they were without a win when he came in under Michel and... Enes Unal, 16 goals, and I've written next to that, Enes Unal in caps lock. <laughs> Nobody thought that Enes Unal had that in him. I mean, he's been in the division for at least three, four, maybe even five years now, and we've not seen sight of that. I mean, we know that he was highly rated as a youngster when he was coming through in Turkey, went to Manchester City, but nobody else has been able to get this out of him at sort of top level professional football, and I think that's sort of symbolic of the job that Kike Sanchez Flores has done. I think he's got Hitafe back on an even keel and back to sort of where they probably should be finishing more or less and maybe a touch higher. They do have a decent enough squad there. Um, I thought it was quite funny that Angel Torres, the president, took shots at Michel after the season finished, saying we proved that we had a good squad and a bad manager at the start of the season. I thought that was slightly unnecessary, but... Um, but entertaining nonetheless. Um, so yeah, Kike Sanchez-Flores, again, one of the underrated jobs that just kind of suffers from the fact that they were almost safe towards the end of the season, so it wasn't a big story. Yeah, I mean, Enes are now the Vinicius of the bottom half, without a doubt, outperforming everyone's expectations. And yeah, Hitafe, as you say, eight defeats in the first nine. They only lost seven under Kike Sanchez-Flores in the remaining 29. So that just goes to show what a transformational effect he had. Uh, is he your coach of the season, Rory? Is he my coach of the season? Uh, no. I'm going to go 
with either Iraola or Pellegrini, um, and I could flip a coin between the two, to be honest. Or Carlo, to be fair. Carlo has Carlo has a, a good enough claim to it, but he's also the sort of common choice, so he's not entertaining and fun, which is which is what I want to go <laughs> Common <for>. Carlo. <laughs> I don't know if I call him common. Mallorca, they stayed up eventually at the end. Matt, your kind of assessment on their season? Very, very odd. I mean... They had a terrible run at the turn of the year. They'd beaten Aletti away from home and then they couldn't buy a win for, for weeks. Ended up sacking Luis Garcia Plata, hired Javier Aguirre. They looked like they'd turned a corner with a bit more solidity. Then they got hammered by Granada 6-2 and we think, well, that's them gone. And then they turn it around in the final couple of games with two massive wins. Um, really memorable. The 2-1 win over Raya with a late winner from Abdon Prats. And then on the final day, of course, that win away at El Sadar to stay up. It was... Um, Great scene. I think it's always nice to have a team away from mainland Spain in the division. Um, so for that reason alone, I'm glad they stayed up. And also we know some, some great people from Mallorca uh, who support them. Uh, so from a kind of podcast point of view, it's great to, for them to be still on board. Um, but yeah, Aguirre, this time he, he, he stayed up. Um, looks like he'll continue as well. So we'll see how they do next season. Murici was a, a, an absolute you know, wonder buy. Uh, to get him in, whether they'll be able to keep him, as uh, as Alex was saying on the pod last week, will be difficult. But uh, if they can keep him, and if they can get a, a bit more freshness around that team, because they've got a lot of older players, the likes of Angel Rodriguez, Salva Sevilla's already gone, Manolo Reina is going to go. Uh, so a bit of change in the air for Mallorca, but hopefully that can be a springboard for, for more positive things to come. Moving on to Cadiz. I think Sergio Gonzalez, I'll come to you on in a sec on sort of where you where you lie on the manager of the season, but if you want a half manager of the season, then Sergio Gonzalez has got very good shouts. I think Caddy, for me, were the hardest team to come into and keep up. I, I think, I mean, Hatafe, you've made the case, but we've been saying that Alvaro Severa has been getting more out of these players for, for his entire sort of Caddy spell, which was five, six years to come in and replace him. Fans chanting for him, Cervera that is as he sort of leaves the stadium like the whole street was full I mean, I mean we saw the scenes to come into that to be the sort of underwhelming choice fans maybe not quite sure about him myself included and then to give this caddy an absolute breath of fresh air to make them ambitious to make them aggressive to make them sort of believe in absolutely every game that they could win that they could win that they could take points at I, yeah, I don't have enough words for him. I mean, I'm sort of echoing my own thoughts from previous pods here, but where does, uh, does Sergio feature in any of your sort of manager of the season lists, Matt? Well, I think he has to. I mean, first of all, have you, have you sent your apology letter yet? Because I think, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's overdue. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's been miraculous again. Um, as you say, for all those reasons you outlined, the, the scenes uh, in Cadiz when Alvaro Severa said goodbye it was like they'd won a trophy. It, it, he was that. Uh, he was that much of a figure for the club. He'd taken them from Segunda B all the way up to La Liga and kept them there last season against all the odds. And for him to, to leave, you know, the Cadiz fans were, were baying for blood really from the board. Um, so to come into that, as you've said, Sergio had a lot of, well, a lot of nerves for a start to kind of stick that out and take it on. And he's shown what a good coach he can be because. After going down with Vida Lead last season, perhaps you thought, okay, he's probably not going to get another La Liga job now because, you know, even the season before Vida Lead were just scraping it. 
and you're thinking, yeah, he's, he's not got too much going for him in terms of attractiveness as a coach. But at Cadiz now, he's, he's kind of had a re rebirth in terms of his style. And, you know, they won at Cam now. They, they were undefeated against the champions Real Madrid. I mean, that, that's impressive, isn't it? Whichever way you look at it. But ultimately, your manager of the season is? Uh, do you know what? I would have said Andoni Araola all the way up until March, but I'm 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 gonna go with Kike Sanchez Flores. I am. Wow, interesting, entertaining. And moving on to the um, succession of managers that got sacked, Granada. They were third from bottom. Missed out on the final day. This should never have happened, should it, Matt? But uh, yeah, ultimately, how do you sort of assess that for Granada? Gutting, devastating for them. Uh, in the cold light of day, perhaps it's a good thing in terms of being able to flush out the, the bad elements of the board and the management. There's a lot of anger amongst the Granada fans right now about the, uh, the board um, and how it was allowed to happen, going from Europa League quarterfinals and finishing ninth to then being relegated, having three different managers and, and letting Diego Martinez walk away without giving him a viable project. Um, it's, it's so sad that it was Jorge Molina's missed penalty that ultimately cost them because he doesn't deserve to be the, the villain. Oh, well, he isn't the villain, you know. The Granada fans were still serenading him at the end and he was in tears. Um, just a gut-wrenching final day to watch, really. Obviously delighted for Cadiz and Mallorca. Someone has to go down. It was Granada. Um, hopefully they can readjust. We still don't know what's going to happen with Aitor Carranca. He was, he was in Paris at the Champions League final as an ambassador for Real Madrid, but we still don't know if he's going to continue as Granada coach. That, that uncertainty is still there. Uh, a week after the relegation, um, they need clarity because, you know, the Segunda season is a long one. You need to plan early, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a struggle for them. But um, interesting as well. We, we were just talking before the pod as well. Last season, the three relegated clubs, Huesca, Real Valladolid, and Eibar, they all stuck with their managers all season. Uh, Pacheta, Sergio, and uh, no, no, of Huesca course Mendilibar. Sacked, sacked uh, Michel before they brought in Pacheta, and Pacheta almost brought it in. Ah, yes, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Yeah, he, he was at Elche, wasn't he? And then, yeah, yeah, that's true. Elche sacked him after getting promoted. That's right. Yeah. But, Sorry, but, forgive me. But having said that, Huesca should have scored on the last day and should have stayed up. So the conclusion is that you need to sack your manager <laughs> once to stay up, but no more than once. Yes. Yes. Uh, and of course, what I was trying to, well, the point I was badly making is that, of course, <laughs> this season, the three clubs that have gone down have all gone through three coaches. And arguably in Granada's case had they done it earlier getting Karanka in they could have stayed up because he only lost one game um, in charge uh, and that still wasn't enough so yeah Levante again Lishi if he came in after Paco Lopez maybe he could have gotten enough points they were only just short by the end um, and yeah I think Alaves we all agree that Javi Kayeka was absolutely thrown under the bus being sacked at Christmas so yeah um it's, it's, uh, it's, it's horrible for Granada, um, but uh, unfortunately it, it is the way it is. Someone has to go down and it was them. Yeah, I think Alaves for me, it was the culmination of a long path to relegation, um, as, as we were saying. And I think uh, the, the final day of the season, Alaves with that sort of sign from the crowd saying we deserve a team that is at our height, we deserve a players aboard and a manager that are at our height at our sort of like level of greatness from the fans at Mendy Sorota and that was absolutely spot on fair play for 
for putting that into words because it's better than I've done all season. <laughs> um, so Levante as well, I think. I mean, Morales, I'm just gutted for Morales. I'm gutted for myself that yeah. I won't have Morales at least every weekend. Well, I can drop down to Segundas to see him, but um, but yeah, Morales, it's gotten to see him go. And I think for a long time, Levante were a team that did things well. That's why they were both so entertaining and both so, so sort of interesting in the bottom half of the of the table but they stopped doing those things at the end of last season and ultimately they left it too late to start doing things right again and if, even if you look at their recruitment I mean we talk about how talented they are and how they have Morales and not so much as applies to him but in terms of like Ennis Bardi and Jose Campagna and they've had injury issues yes but for quite a long time now they've not done it and, and it's been quite a long time since they brought in somebody I mean Jorge de Frutos yeah. was a standout last season but couldn't again had injuries um, so yeah a team that did things and a club that did things right for a while but then I think yeah there was maybe in a slight aspect of complacency at Levante for me yeah indeed I mean they still scored bagfuls of goals um but they just conceded too many. What, 76? That's, I think that's their record to, for conceding goals in Primera. So you can't expect to stay up when you ship that many goals because if you need to score two or three to win every week and you're Levante, that's, that's just not feasible, is it? Um, and yeah, for Alaves, they the good news is they look to have already started to rebuild. Um, Luis Garcia Plata, I think, is a very smart appointment for Segunda. They've got Salva Sevilla in as well to link back up with him. So that's, that's encouraging signs for them. Um, and we'll, we'll wait and see. Hosselu, I'm sure, will probably get a move to La Liga uh, at some stage. So, again, they'll have to rebuild in Segunda. And we'll see how they do there. But uh, overall, I think I agree. Alaves were kind of doomed to this for a couple of seasons. They were desperately trying to be in Primera for their centenary season. Then the pandemic hit. And, uh, yeah, Lucas, once Lucas Pérez had left Hosselu, it was never quite the same. And then, of course, uh, the Abelardo comeback didn't work last year. And again, they went through two or three coaches this time. So, yeah, they've been probably more managers than they've had wins in the last couple of seasons. And ultimately, that, that's not a good recipe. It isn't indeed, yeah. I think uh, it was an entertaining relegation race. And, and ultimately, you saw the most organised sides stay up in this one. I think, yep. yeah, it, it was clear both, from sort of, uh, both on the pitch and off it that the chaos was, was the sort of deciding factor you can look at all the other teams above them and say that they had much more of a more of a plan and more of a, a course to follow I think that would be my closing thought on that Matt yes I'd say what final thoughts then on the season in general um, if you can think of one moment from La Liga is there anything that kind of jumps out at you the one that kind of sticks with me obviously recency bias but you know Molina missing that penalty is just a uh, so so sad in the way that he's, he was their hero for so many seasons. He became the oldest player to score a hat-trick in La Liga history. And then ultimately he still goes down, um, which, uh, as we've said, is, is gutting for him. Uh, we've, had, we've had some incredible moments. I mean, Sevilla still unbeaten in league derbies against Betis. But of course, as Alan Feely said to us the other week, being a Betis fan is, is far more optimistic at, at the present moment. Um, yeah, I think the, the Bernabeu Classico was an incredible, surprising result, 4-0. They blew them away. Uh, ultimately, didn't count for a lot, but Barca fans will certainly love that. Um, and yeah, Atleti struggling to defend their title. 
Uh, the Cam Now game, which of course we were at, has to go down as one of the games of the season, certainly not just because I was there, but because I think it was a fantastic uh, game of football and also a surprise the Atleti side concede four goals in a game. Yeah, if I have to go with a Barcelona-related moment, it's probably seeing Dani Alves score in that match. I think that was very warming for my heart. For Real Madrid, if we're going to extend into, into the Champions League, I think the moment of this season for them definitely... For me, my favorite, the best comeback has to be the Manchester City one, and that was just beyond yeah. belief to an even greater extent than the other ones, if that makes sense. Rodrigo um, winning a header in the box is incredible. Wild. But in, in, terms, in terms of one moment that I've got to go with Benzema's Penenka at the Etihad, they were 4-2 down on the night. They could have been even more down. They have a chance to get that penalty and take only a slender deficit back. And he Penenkas it, having missed two the previous week against Osasuna. That's the thing, he missed two the previous week and he Penenkas it. I mean, that is just... There's ice in the veins, and then there's that. That's just a different level of ice. That's, that's absolute zero Kelvin, that is. A- absolutely wild. Um, but if I'm going to go over a moment of the season to wrap up, I'm going to go with Juan Miranda and the Betis penalty. I mean, the narrative for Betis is there. The sort of build-up was there for it to be Juan Miranda, who was a Betis fan as a kid. It's what dreams are made of. And I think more than anything... Like it was the fact that he kind of sort of dropped to his knees, fell forward, and it was just seeing him, his like body visibly moving as he was kind of sobbing. Yeah, that did did move me if I if I do care to admit that. Yeah, I think there's no shame at all in in being emotional about football. It's we need to keep the purity in it as far as we can. Uh, and on that note, I think we should end the podcast. I'd like to say thanks to you, Rory, for being here uh, and all season. Thanks as well to Sam for his contributions here and all season and thank you to all of you listening we really do appreciate it you make this podcast what it is without you we would just be two guys speaking on zoom into the ether so thank you very much we hope you have a great summer enjoy the transfer sagas there'll be plenty i'm sure Um, and we'll be back in august when la liga returns thanks for listening adios Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.